Welcome to Travolting. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering Saturday Night Fever. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Hello, and, folks. And welcome to My Death. <laughs> Why? No, Why no, did you start no, this podcast no, off that no, way? No, we'll restart. We'll restart. No, we're not. We're going on. We're continuing. Uh, we're well, not cutting anything out. <laughs> well, welcome, folks, to uh, Travolting. I am your host, Jeff Sweeney. And I'm Stuart Elmore. Who's also your host. Co-host. Who is the co-host? I try not to say I'm the host. I'm the co-host. You're the co. You're the host. And the pro- you are the producer. Host. Yeah, you're the host with the most. You got two jobs. I do have a lot of jobs. I try to keep you on track and not go off the I'm rails. The host. With, like I'm the host who with the coast, as in, and I coast off the conversation a lot and lose the thread. Like now. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> welcome to Travolting, the only podcast in America that exclusively covers every single film John Travolta has ever been in. Help us all. Yes. <laughs> 66 movies, 66 weeks. Today we are on our fourth episode covering the fourth film of John Travolta's career, Saturday Night Fever. A great movie. Fantastic movie. A fabulous movie. Amazing. One could even say wonderful. One could say it was feverful. Yes. Feverful. That that was a bad one. This is a 1977 film directed by John Badham as opposed to John Goodham. No, there is a lot of good ham in this movie. There is a lot of good ham in this movie. This is a hammy movie, but it is a good hammy movie. Yes, not bad hammy. Yes. He also he would go on to direct War Games. Uh, also a good movie. Yeah, it's got Matthew Broderick, so you know, it's fun. Yeah. We love hacking the, the Cold War. Yeah. Starting a potential nuclear crisis. Yes. We uh, love it. A movie. A movie. But uh, yes, we're not here to talk about War Games. We're here to talk about Saturday Night Fever. A great, a great film. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can kind of just get started with it. Um, well, it's I mean, shortly after The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, which you folks listened to last week and ideally watched. Thank you for staying with us. Yes. <laughs> ideally. <laughs> <laughs> We're not degrading our podcast uh, at all. <laughs> ideally, um, you've also watched Saturday Night Fever. Hopefully. Uh, at this point in Travolta's career, which we've kind of been tracking as we watch these movies, how he himself has developed as an actor and in his career as these movies progress. Yes. And uh, Saturday Night Fever, I guess you could say, like, was the main spark. Yeah, it really, really shot him off. It really shot him off. And, you know, this is his second leading role that he's ever done. Yeah. And uh, in terms of feature filmmaking, obviously he he's was, had his own TV shows. Welcome back, Cotter. Welcome back, a Cotter. Show we are not covering show, on this podcast. We have said that numerous times <laughs> to people that just we are for, not covering. Just for welcome. all the people who are at this point inevitably emailing us, where's the welcome back, Cotter? Jeff, we have not received one email. <laughs> we have not released a single episode as of the time of this recording. True. Most of the world is unaware that we are recording this podcast. So probably like in a month, we're going to get all the emails. Yeah, we're going to get all the welcome back, Cotter. We're just, I'm just trying to cut this off now. Yeah. This is an official declaration. Consider this an executive order. We are not covering Welcome Back, Cotter on this podcast. Fuck you if you think we are. If you think we are covering Welcome Back, Cotter, find a different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Find yourself the Cotter cast. We don't want any of that film. (laughs) We don't want any of that shit in here. uh, I've heard it's actually a rather lovely show. I'm sure it um, is. Yes, he was wrapping up his time on the show um, as... I mean, he was in it for another year, but he was wrapping it up, near the process of wrapping up when he did Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. um, a movie that was shot around the same time as The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, right. or shortly thereafter. Very different hair. Very different hair. His hair in this is lovely. I rated this a um, 7.5 out whoa, of 10, whoa, only, whoa. Because, only because I like long hair Travolta, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I think this is the end of our podcast, folks. Thanks for listening these past four weeks. Shut the no. hell up. No, no, this not. is an 11 out of 10 for Travolta here. I mean, it's 11 out of 10 for just his overall look. Like, he yes. looks he really... He looks 
fantastic in this movie. Yes, he's got the look. Not just it, like good looks, but like in terms of his yeah. character. Like he looks like a 1970s yeah. New York paint salesman who dances at discos on yeah. the weekend. It's honestly amazing how compared to the past three things that we watched. Yeah. This Travolta really settles into his own in this movie. He becomes like a whole like a whole cloth. He it, finally finds his groove as an actor. It's almost slightly frightening in some sense of like is this his only role? I mean, we surely find out later that it's not his only role he can play, but it's like certainly one of the roles that if you need a great New York Italian bad boy, like, let me tell you something, Uh, then it's John Travolta. John Travolta does it very, very well. Yes. He just, I'm going to talk about this a lot during this episode, but the thing that really sells this movie is how confident his performance is. Yeah. Even in the moments of unconfidence, that his character Tony Monero has. Yeah. Um, he is so confident in every choice he makes. He's confident in his physicality. He's confident in the character's sexuality. He's confident in every move, every dance. And it translates so well. You just get the impression yeah. this guy is a whole character. And, and we are going to talk about this later on, but something that I really found like admirable was, um, do you want any glass of water, by the way? I'm fine. Are you sure? Yes. I can put a pause on this. If you want no, to I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm not cutting this out of the podcast. Like this will be in the podcast. This is the this is the the water cast. <laughs> so no, but there this are, podcast brought to you by Poland Spring Water. No, that's not true. We are not brought to you. We do not have any. We don't have any sponsors as of yet. Poland Spring, if you want to be a sponsor, hit me up. And tweet, tweet me uh, <laughs> at Trolting Pod at Trolting Pod and say, "Hi, I'm a representative of Poland Spring. We want to sponsor your episode." Thank you. So, but yes. what I really, uh, and we're going to talk about this obviously, but to go with his confidence, like uh, John Travolta was one of the leading forces b- behind this production of making sure that the cinematography of this film included full body shots yes. of dancing because there was a, a, a talks in the studio between like, well, we're not totally sure. Like if everyone's gonna be able to hold their own, even like, I mean, John Travolta might be good, but yeah. is he that good? Like maybe we should just go for in just close-ups. And I think I read this on IMDb trivia, so whether it's real or not, yeah. but he, it's reported that he like threatened to walk off the production. I think we're going to include like full body shots of him dancing. This was a movie he was very much involved in and yeah. felt very passionately about because he has, he had a lot in the line for this. This is his first feature film going into theaters that he would be starring in yeah. instead of a supporting role. So this was the make or break moment for him. And you get the, you feel that sense of desperation Mm-hmm. And I don't. I don't want to say desperation because I want to talk about his confidence. Well, it's like but, Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible with COVID. Yeah, he knew there was there was only one chance of success. This was his shot. Yeah, and he had to take it, and he had to win. Yeah, and you get that through every aspect of this film that he had so many hands in, and it just really coalesced to create a fabulous movie. I mean, and if you think an Oscar nom and a Golden Globe nom is a win, I mean, I would agree with yes. you there. This movie was only nominated for him, shockingly. Shockingly, here's, yeah. the, here's the thing: is I could get um, nominating him. I could get not giving this a best picture nomination, Production even if design. I disagree. Production design. It didn't get. It didn't get song. Oh yeah. The beat like there. Bee Gees <laughs> like staying alive. Yeah. Um, Night Fever, more than a woman to me. All of those. Those are released with this album for this movie. Not a single one got nominated. And there were so many other, like, That's, John Travolta is isn't the one and only actor in this film. There's lots of good performers yes. in this movie, too, that also hold their own that I could have seen getting a supporting actor nom. I agree, probably not Best Picture, but when you see the 2001 Odyssey Club, like, what they did to that club, yes. oh my gosh, dude. It's insane. That sh- they should have gotten a production design no- Did they the, not get nominated for... Pro- they only got nominated for Best Actor, as near as I can tell. That is just ridiculous. Yeah, it should have definitely been... Um, it did get Golden Globe nomination for Best Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical, which I suppose is good. Can you really call this a comedy, though? It's a musical. But not a comedy musical. It's like I a mean, drama musical. The Martian got nominated for Best Comedy at the true. Golden Globes. So. Yeah, that's very true. So, And then the Golden Globes, they did also uh, give Best Original Song, um, How Deep Is Your Love nominee. Yeah. So. You know what else that should have been nominated for? Best song at the Oscars. Best song at the Oscars. It is insane that this movie did not get a, a song nomination. That just blows my mind. Yeah. 
And cinematography is fantastic in this movie as well. This was one of the first films where they actually used a Steadicam. Yeah, it was one of the first Steadicam movies. Yeah. But this is one of those movies out of the 70s where every element of it just coalesces together and creates a really enduring piece of, I mean, not just the 70s, any period of film. Yeah. Where every element coalesces together and creates yeah. a really fabulous piece of art. There are some, one thing that I think we should say before going into the plot is that there are definitely elements of this film that are reminiscent of the time for sure. Yes. And just something but to I, be. I think it all plays into what the movie's trying to do. Yeah. Um, which we'll get into, I guess, by just talking about the opening scene. Oh, yeah. Which, um. Yeah. You start here and <laughs> staying alive. Yep. You're immediately set into the groove. And the opening currents, we actually studied this when I was in college. We yeah. studied this scene. Um, and it is just going off of what we talked about in that class and just what the movie presents. It's a whole sequence of watching John Travolta walk down streets and enter stores mm-hmm. in this sleek suit. He looks like he's king of the world. And you get the impression this guy is he's king something. of the town. He must be someone big. He's someone big. He walks into a pizza store and he's just like, and they're like, hey, Tony, you want a slice? And he's like, oh, two. I'll take two slices. I'll two. take two slices. He's doing a very thick Brooklyn accent. Yeah. It is effective, actually. Um, it does a pretty good job. He will later use that Brooklyn accent to a uh, disastrous effect Stop. about 40 years later. Stop. Let's continue with we will Saturday talk, Fever. We'll, no, we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about that movie when we get to it. In a year. It's our, our blow-up episode. Yeah. Anyway. I'll lose my mind on that. Episode. So... Um, but yes, he he's walking around. You get the impression this guy is the king. He has fever. Yeah, it's the Saturday night fever. Right. Um. He sees a woman on the street, and he just decides, cool. And he just starts walking in front of her, trying to get her to go out with him. Essentially, hey yo. Yeah, he's doing the hey yo. What should I mean? They didn't have phones back then but cell phones but he's like he's not like hey what's your number but he's doing that move what's your addy and you get the impression the girl's a little annoyed she's not this. she's yeah. not she's not into it she's which, probably had this a few times it's like get away from me which so the, the casual viewer watching that's just like oh this guy's kind of a jerk it's whatever yeah but he's he's on top and he thinks anything is his but it all plays into what this movie goes for yeah Anyway, he's dancing down the street, staying alive, is blasting. We're looking at him from cameras that are all low, facing up. A lot of Dutch angles very, from, like, the thigh up. Yeah, he's very towering. Yeah. And then everything is shattered. This illusion is shattered. And he, he walks into a gets, paint store. He walks into a paint store in the back door. He was on a run to grab new paint for the store. Yeah. And he puts on an apron, and he's selling paint. He's a really good salesman. Yeah. He's a smooth dead, talker. It's a, it's a dead-end job but he's good at it. Yeah. And his boss is telling him, hey, Tony, you got to do this. You got to do that. And you realize that the guy he was presenting himself to be is not who he is. Right. And that's very much one of the main things this movie's going for is the chasm between who the self we present. This false idolatry. Yeah, way. and the self that we are. Yeah. Uh, such as me presenting myself on this podcast as a put-together person and who I really am. I'll just let you know he's not a put-together person. Yeah. But. I'm I'm of I love you, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he's working at the paint store. They close up late at night, and he goes home. He's sitting around the house. Oh, there's a great line with his boss that I really like. Mm. Oh, I think where, we have the same line. Yeah, where the... He, Is it? You don't... Yeah, yeah you... you he uh, His boss tells him, Tony, you got to think about your future. future. You got to save your money. You're spending it all on suits and because he wants to an advance on his paycheck to buy a suit for the club. Right. And the boss isn't and letting him. His boss tells him that and he says, fuck the future. And his boss says, you, you can't don't fuck, fuck the, the future. future. The, the future, future fucks, fucks you. you. I love that line. This is so already much. such a cohesive film. Yeah. Every, like, I mean, it's a funny line. It's a good line. Yeah. But it all, it just comes back later in an effective sense at the very end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, when someone is fucked by their future. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Which hopefully you have. Yeah. Um, so obviously we watched this movie a few days ago. Mm-hmm. So I quickly just read the Wikipedia entry before this yeah. just to make sure I had the basic plot beats. I'm glad the you Wikipedia did. The Wikipedia entry is like a, a textual analysis of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this person on Wikipedia really went hard on this They really movie. went hard into it? Yeah, they're, they're like, they're, they're throwing lines in there like, 
um, disgusted and disillusioned by what has happened to him. It's like there's if you want to get everything we're going to say in this podcast in a forty second bite, uh, read the Wikipedia entry for Saturday Night Fever. Okay, sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> so then well, he goes back home. Yeah, he goes back home. That's when we get um, introduced to the family. We get introduced to his family. His uh. Classic Italian. Yeah, it's very extremely Italian family, you know. Roman Catholic Italian. Very Roman Catholic. Uh, In his room, he has pictures of Al Pacino and Sylvester Stallone. Rocky. It's a Rocky poster. Kind of these masculine idols that he looks up to and wants to aspire to be one day. Yeah. And we learn in the dinner scene of that, that his, even though he looks up to all these like masculine idols, his brother is a priest. Yes, but his brother's a priest and all he does to his family is work at a paint store and dance. Yeah. And you don't see that for his future they don't see that as a success they think he should be a priest which is like have you looked at the man yeah <laughs> does he look yeah. like someone who could be a priest like yeah. come on bro and his dad is out of a job yeah so he's the main so tony monero which is john Travolta's name if i haven't said it yeah um is the breadwinner of the house which simultaneously neuters his dad yeah who wants to mock him for being who he is but he can't it puts in a lot of tension because he too is neutered in that he doesn't have a job. He feels like he's failing as this masculine figure. Right, yeah. And that's the other thing this movie's going for, is it's a look at an extremely toxic sect of masculinity. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so they're at, they're, at the, they're at the house, and we're getting all this exposition about his dad being unemployed and his brother being a priest, and he's going to be going out tonight. Um, so he's like getting all his suit. He's getting a suit on. He's like getting all ready with his comb over and all his that stuff. Mom's telling him you should be a priest. You need to get your life together. <laughs> they actually they actually yell at each other a little bit. Yeah, there's a little the, bit. There's of... a grandma at the table. Like, oh, like, who has like who I think says like lines. one word in the whole movie, and it's an Italian. She's remarkably chill about all the proceedings. <laughs> Whose mom is to... that? Is that the mom's mom or is it the dad's mom? Never said. Never said. The grandma is just there to eat spaghetti <laughs> and get her. Uh, her day rate. You have a spaghetti experience from this movie. Don't yes, you I saw them eating spaghetti. I felt very hungry. I paused the movie and I made spaghetti. Mom's spaghetti. So if you watch this movie, make he sure you have spaghetti on hand. Arms fresh around. or easy to make. This is a great movie to eat spaghetti too. Yes, I will, f- I'm not going to lie. A fabulous movie to eat spaghetti. Yep. I ate a whole, I didn't eat a whole box, but I ate a yep. whole plate of spaghetti watching this movie. And it was very good. Yeah. So afterwards, he meets uh, with his he meets, best buds. He meets with the boys. And I have all their names here because I did not memorize their names throughout yes. the entire film. But it's uh, Joey, Double J, Gus, and the IMDb synopsis says the diminutive Bobby C. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, got him. <laughs> it's true, but you didn't need to like really out him yeah. like that, man. But yeah. Honestly, Bobby C is the only one you really need to know the name of. Yeah. The rest true. of them kind of just fold in as these yeah. um, punks. Bad influences on Tony. Yeah. And then we also get a slight introduction to Annette. Yeah, Annette. Um, and that's an interesting... Tony's friend who... Loves him. Loves him. Adores he does not him. share the affection. Kisses the feet, the ground he walks on. Yes. And he just doesn't want anything to do with yeah. her. The only thing... Because they go to the club and we learn the only thing that Tony actually cares about... Yeah. Is dancing. Right. And this person we've been presented to from the paint stop, from the paint shop, through with his friends is a guy who seems put together, but you can tell there's a little bit of tension there. Yeah. The second he gets on the dance floor at the club, he is so himself. Yeah. That's the only place he can really be who he wants to be when he breaks down. Yeah. This tough masculine exterior he has and just lets himself be Tony Monero. And he is, not only is he is he himself, but he's somebody there yeah. too. And he can represent his sexuality in an artistic way. Yeah. Instead of the violent way, this movie kind of expresses sexuality in yeah. many senses. Right. And so he he is like, you know, a giant in this place. Yes. Like he's somebody that people look Everyone up to. Everyone knows him. Everybody knows him. And uh, at one point in this dance scene, um, I can't remember, does the, does the introduction to... Um, uh, what's her name... Gosh dang! Well, the the main girl, main girl in this, Stephanie. Stephanie. So yeah. Stephanie gets a small introduction to this. She is a romantic interest later on in the road yeah. that goes sort of awry. But essentially, I can't remember if there's like the dance competition that comes first or if there's the introduction to Stephanie. He, he meets Stephanie at the ballet place later. 
At later, yeah, yeah, but there's like a time when in their night there when the DJ puts on some song and he's like, People can't dance to this, and he's like, Well, she's looking like she can dance to it, and I think that's Stephanie, right? Is it? I'm pretty sure, that, yeah, that's Stephanie. Wow, um, so that's like his first introduction yeah. to her, and then he sees her get at the ballet place, gotcha. So, but yeah. uh, prior to that, he's walking around the club, yeah, um, everyone knows him, Annette's trying to go out with him. Yeah, trying he real hard. Reluctant, there's a dance competition, and he reluctantly agrees to dance with her. Yeah, Annette is going as hard for Tony as Todd in the plastic bubble is going for Gina. Yes. In the boy, the plastic bubble. Um, a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> so, but yes. He eventually says yes to Annette to for doing this uh, dancing competition. And... Um, very reluctant. Also, there's one really funny scene when John Travolta is dancing and he's dancing with two girls because Stephanie leaves and he can't find her. So he's dancing with these two girls and one girl goes in for a kiss and she just says, I just kissed Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that's amazing. <laughs> it's very good. Very good. Yeah. So um, they, they wrap up at the club and they're driving back home and they stop at um, a bridge in New York City. Yeah. I do not know which bridge. It's not Brooklyn Bridge. It's it looks like the Brooklyn Bridge, but I know it isn't. Right. Um, but they stop there, um, and they're just kind of dancing on the precipice of this bridge. Actually, I think it is the Brooklyn Bridge because there's a scene later where he talks to Stephanie about the Brooklyn Bridge for Brooklyn a while. Bridge? Pretty sure it's the Brooklyn Bridge. It is a it is a br- it's a bridge. It's, it's a br- it's the it's oh, I'm just gonna call it the bridge. It's a bridge in New York City. It's a New York bridge. Yeah. But um, they literally dance on the edge of this bridge. Yeah. This thing that will get them somewhere else, but they can never cross it. Annette is all, all is watching, too, in horror. Yeah, she's very concerned because they're on the edge of it, and at any point they could fall and die from falling into the river. Right. The Hudson. And it would kill them. Yes, and it would kill them. Um, And they pull a pretty good bit. Where they uh, like jump off the ledge. Where they all unquote. pretend to fall. And Annette screams and then runs she, over and chokes down. They were on a platform like two feet lower. Yeah. So. It, it was a good gag. Hardy horror horror. Good gag. Guys. Yeah. So, uh, but the, after the night out in the town, they head home and he agrees to meet Annette the next day at a dance club, mm-hmm. a yeah. ballet place run by a very sleazy guy who, uh, records the percentage of women who come to, to the dance parlor. He can sleep with. 60%. 60% is what he It's a little at. joke that Tony comes in. He's like, what's the percent? What's oh, it's like, what's the number up yeah. to today? He's like 60. Yeah. And then you figure out it's like, oh, it's 60% the number of the women that he brings in yeah. he sleeps with. Just continuing to show this very gross, toxic world that Tony lives in. Yeah. And is forcing himself to be a part of in spite of himself. You're right. Right. Uh, he's there. He and Annette practice, but he sees Stephanie. Yeah. Uh, and he is just taken with her, and he thinks that she has a style and a look that he wants. And she's dancing like a ballet. Yeah, something. she's doing like some ballet dancing. Yeah, not like disco or anything like that. So he asks her out to coffee. He says, oh, you want to get some coffee? Coffee. Coffee. Let's go get some coffee. Uh, she agrees to go with to, with him for coffee. She's very reluctant, though. Yes, very reluctant, but he... Keeps pushing and eventually keeps putting on the New York push, you know. Yeah, he keeps uh, New York in it, coercing it. So uh, they go to coffee, um, and there's a really cool shot um, following them walking across the street, and the camera stays outside as it rotates and shows them walking into the restaurant, sitting at the window seat, mm-hmm. which is where the camera walks at them through the window. Yeah, we forgot one scene though. What did I forget? There's a pit where he goes back to work the next morning. Oh, yes. And his boss wants to give him a raise. And it starts off with a $2 raise. And Tony plays oh. it off really cool. Like, oh, that's amazing. Thank you so yeah. much. It's like, I've never seen anybody happy with a $2 raise before. Let's make it a $4 raise. Like, oh, my God, $4 is amazing. His boss is like, you know, $5. $5. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, my gosh. So then he goes back home and he talks to his dad about it. And he's Tony's like. Tony's just so disinterested in this job. Yeah. And he's like. Even I, if a raise is great, he's like. It's a raise. Yeah. And he goes home and he talks to his dad about it. And his dad's like, $5 raise. And he gives him hell for it. And it goes yeah. back and forth with their toxic family relationship that yeah. they have. So, but anyway, back at the coffee place. Yes. He gets some coffee. Yeah. Uh, coffee. <laughs> Did the priest come uh, back already? 
I think that's around this time. I don't remember the exact yeah. series of events. We'll finish this bit, and then we'll talk about the priest bit. But he and um, Stephanie talk about where they're at in their lives. And yeah. Stephanie talks about how she recently got a job in Manhattan Yeah. and works with a bunch of famous people, and she's throwing these names off. And Tony's just like, uh... Um, she's like, uh, I can't remember specifically. She mentions Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Amongst others. At one point uh, she mentions David Bowie, but that's yeah, later in but the that's, movie. Yeah, but that's a big thing is Tony isn't convinced by her story, and I don't think we are either, and that she's saying she meets all these famous people, she lives in Manhattan. It's all sounding a little a little much. Right. Um, and we're, at, we're meant to ask if, like, maybe she's presenting a self that isn't real. Yeah. This version of her that's, you know, surrounded by famous people all put together. Maybe that's not who she really is. And we never get an answer on that in the movie. Not really, no. And I kind of love that. That yeah. the movie's not interesting. It's just showing how every person can, in some way, put show up a different of... put up a different version of themselves. Yeah. To survive in a modern world. Yeah. She feels undervalued as a woman, so she puts up this version of herself where she's surrounded by fame and importance mm-hmm. to help other people see her as important. Yeah. And when she turns that on Tony, it then it's like, are you even interested in what I'm saying? And it's he's like, oh yeah. yeah he, but, he's like, I don't know any, I don't know none of these names. I don't know any of these people, but it sounds like you seem interested in it yeah. and all that stuff. And then she's like, well, what about you? It's like, well, what about me? It's like, well, you think about going to college? Yeah. And it's like, well, I didn't know about going to college. And yeah. basically, like, you know, like she's pressing like, Tony. I like a cheeseburger. Yeah, a cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like pressing him on on all of the on like what he wants to do in the future and all he can really think about is like uh, you know, I don't really know. I'm just thinking, you know, the, about the weekend and he's not really living things in the future right now. He's just taking it one day at a time. Yeah. And so I remember there's a line about snobs versus slobs. Snobs versus slobs. Yeah. And that's kind of how he's presenting this conversation with her. Yeah. Is that she's the snob, he's the slob. Which of them is really wrong? Mm, interesting. Because he wants the cheeseburger, she gets the salad or the fruit bowl. I can't remember specifically yeah, what. Right. Um, and he doesn't feel that important. But she does agree to dance with him. Because she does need a partner to enter the conversation at 2001 Odyssey, which is a great name for a club, mind you. Yeah. I love <laughs> that it's called the 2001 Odyssey. I mean, and again, going back to the production design element of it, that club looks amazing. Second best club name next to Club Obi-Wan from Temple of Doom. Moving on. Um. <laughs> <laughs> a great, great club name. Yeah. He also says, I believe, $4 don't buy $3. Say uh, what? He says, $4 don't buy $3. Yeah interesting yeah what do you have to say about that Stuart and i are locked in eye contact right now i think i'm i'm losing it i'm just and just it's just all these little elements that are putting together yeah this battle of ideologies that will define this movie. right it's something what's and i think we'll get to this more towards the end but the screenplay of this film was actually based off of a new york magazine article called tribal rights of the new saturday night yeah and in, in its own way the director decided to go truly i think the author said, like, it's a, you know, this film is a work of fiction, but I think it stays true to the theme of what the article is supposed yeah. to represent, which is, again, I mean, this toxic world that everybody has to put up a front to survive in and, and the, all that stuff. And only in these moments of dancing for this guy does he really express his true self. Right. Yeah. So um, the priest brother, or yes. the, the brother's home priest. And his brother's home. Yeah. Frank Jr. Frank Jr. His mom is sobbing. Turns out. Frank Jr. left the priesthood. Left the priesthood. The ultimate insult to this family. Yeah. Which was so proud of him and saw him as the successful child and Tony as the screw-up. Tony goes up and talks to his brother, who tells him he felt like he left the priesthood. He didn't really feel God in his life anymore. Yeah. And above all that, he felt like he was only a priest because his family wanted him to be a priest. Yeah. Yeah. And so and it, it, I really like that uh, there's like a dinner scene with uh i don't know if this is later in the film with uh tony and his family and his mom is just so convinced like he's going back to the priesthood he's going back to priesthood it's like he's not going back to the priesthood and then they have this like again it's almost like they have an argument every single night at this dinner table but this one gets even a little bit more it's a very dysfunctional family yeah 
what was interesting we forgot about this but in the first dinner table conversation when they have a fight his dad like does something with his hair or something like he like muffles his hair yeah. or hits him in the head and I guess it was unscripted that John Travolta just went, watch the hair. Yeah. And then uh, Badham decided to leave it in the film because that was totally in character yeah. for Tony to do. Yeah, I saw I saw that fact about um, his, that his dad hit his head. And he's like, hey, watch the hair. And that was a bit of an ad lib. Yeah. So was fun. what was interesting about, you know, the Frank Jr. coming back home and not being a priest was, again, going along with the lines of like putting up this front in a world that you feel like you have yeah. to live in that Frank probably wasn't even meant for the priesthood in the first place. Yeah. And he so, did it because his family pressured him into doing it. Yeah, absolutely. That, like, that was his destiny. So, um, and that's not what Tony wants. He wants to be a man of his own. From that, doing. Be- yeah. From that being said, um, they go back to 2001 for the another dance night, but he, he brings his brother with him, and so um, Frank Jr. goes to 2001 with Tony and all of his friends, including Bobby C. and Tony does his thing on the dance floor. Yeah. He's living it up, and Frank Jr. seeing it, and he's just like, dude, like he's really good. Isn't he's he? like, it's like really good. Yeah, brother, this is what you are meant to do. Yeah. And all in the meanwhile, Bobby C. tries to get Frank's opinion. He's like, father. It's like, don't call me father. Father. <laughs> father, don't call me father. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they keep saying father. It's, it's a really funny sequence yeah, where but everyone he, keeps calling him father, and he's like, I'm not a priest anymore. I'm not a Stop. priest anymore. Um, but Bobby's trying to get his attention, and he was saying something like, uh, He's like, hypothetically, hypothetically speaking, if a friend of mine uh, got a girl pregnant, is there a way the Pope can Could issue like, absolve us, us? Yeah, absolve us if we get an abortion. Right. And Junior's like, no, no, that's not a thing that's going to happen. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So Bobby sees a little upset about this. He is uh, very upset about this. And so um, that's when uh, Connie. Who's Connie? Connie makes out with Connie in the yeah, car. Yeah, it's um. There's another girl who the uh, the rest of his friends are kind of infatuated yeah. with. Yeah. So there's another like make out scene or whatever. But you know what I love about the sequence and several others is that yeah, they use kind of these disco-fied versions of classical pieces, mm-hmm. including one called like Disco Beethoven, which is just cool. Yeah. And it adds this very epic feel to some of these sequences mm-hmm. where it just is like this classical music is booming with this disco backing to it. It all feels very epic in scope mm-hmm. kind of playing Tony's story as a representative of a larger piece than it is. Yeah. It's yeah. really cool. I, I, I agree. And so it's at this point that the brother has decided to go ahead and leave early. Yeah. He doesn't want to stay at the, at the club that much longer and so um and tony's trying to convince him to stay yeah but he understands it's not his scene he just recently got out of the priesthood so he's probably a little more conservative than tony is who's willing to just bear it all on that dance floor yeah and i think we had missed uh, a quick thing that there was a gang hit by one of tony's friends who was in the hospital and so this is a little bit beforehand not too much beforehand but um when um they are like looking for people yeah. you know to like hit up they decided they can't like find they don't find mm-hmm. anybody or they don't find anybody worth taking on so they decide to like table that for the night mm-hmm. stay tuned we'll get back to that later but then back to uh the discotheque when they're like all over there and so his brother his his brother leaves and uh leaves early and it's at this point when they are i think this is when they actually do the bridge thing um in this movie We've been jumping around plot plot wise in this. Yeah, hopefully you've watched this movie and yeah. are on our description. Yeah, but hopefully we're achieving some semblance of the plot and kind of what this movie yeah. is all about. But after this scene, essentially, uh, Tony goes back home and he realizes Frank is actually moving out. Yeah, Frank is leaving, and he, yeah. on his way out, he more or less tells Tony that your dream is to dance. Yeah, your dream is to dance. Do it. Yeah, don't let our parents, don't let your friends, don't let anything stop you from doing what you want to do yeah so then at this point they then he he goes back to the dance studio to yeah. practice with stephanie again yeah. and he sort of scoffs at her for not being there and so but she, she's like i didn't tell you i was going to be there yeah and so but it's at this point she's, when she's rejecting all of his attempts to kind of get to know her better yeah yeah so but except that he they then all the boys come to yeah. the dance studio and sort of meet them up and 
what I love about this scene is you could tell that Tony's uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's like all of his gross and toxic yeah. masculine friends are with this like very put together, yeah. mature woman who's obviously older than him yeah. by some amount. And it's just like, you could tell in that scene, he's like a little bit uncomfortable. He's like, hey guys, let's not talk about that right here. <laughs> and so they go to White Castle together. Yes. Hate White Castle. We are never going to be sponsored by White Castle. Yes. White Castle, if you're listening to this, I don't like your products. Go fuck yourselves. Your burgers are trash. We're never sponsoring White Castle. Can we agree on that? Yes. Okay. We're so anyway, alienating so many people. We're uh, So we're never sponsoring White Castle, but they go to White Castle. And uh, very vintage White Castle. A very vintage White Castle. Well, I mean, it is the 70s, so everything's vintage in that regard. Um, and we get like this little bonding scene between Stephanie and Tony and his friends. And she's almost, she's not like super blending in, but she's kind of going along with a little bit yeah. of that. Like, there's one part when they're sitting at the table and they start like barking like dogs and making them <laughs> yeah. scene in the middle of the restaurant. She's not like totally freaked out about yeah. it. Uh, but she's she's seeing the side of Tony she hadn't seen before, which I think puts her in a little yeah. bit more. Like she almost, yeah. I, I think that was like the turning point to when she, because now as she's seeing the more true side of Tony is when she's actually allowing herself yeah. to give into it a little bit. But all, it's not even just the true side of Tony; it's almost what the version of him that she saw is trying to hide from. Yeah, because he doesn't. He's not into that scene with his friends right he just does it because he feels like it's where he's supposed to be yeah just like it feels he's supposed to be at a paint store he's not really worth anything yeah so what i it's one of my favorite lines in this movie is when they're all walking out bobby c yeah is it asking stephanie he's like hey stephanie uh you know i have a friend who (laughs) got a girl pregnant and I just want to know, like, if you were in that position, would you rather get an abortion or get married? It's like, who would I be marrying? And he's like, well, me. And then she just said, I think I'd rather have an abortion. <laughs> or Bobby C. <laughs> Bobby C. just gets shit on this entire yeah, movie. And it has tragic results. <laughs> it, ugh, yeah, it does have tragic results. So, um, But yeah, he and, he and Stephanie continue to practice. Yeah. All the while, all these things are piling up in his life yeah. that are driving him more away from what he wants. Yeah. And like then, as you mentioned, there's the gang subplot, which I forgot about. Yeah, there's a gang subplot in this uh, whole thing. One of their friends gets beat up, and uh, he thinks he was it was by this gang called the Barracudas. I didn't know their name. So uh, Tony and his friends decide they're gonna they're gonna beat the Barracudas in their own turf and drive their car into they drive the car through, through the garage. garage. Uh, and then jump out and start fighting this uh, gang. Of course, <laughs> Bobby C., the little shit he is, backs the yeah. car up out of the garage yeah. and makes a run for it. Yeah, runs for it. And so Tony and his friends uh, have a slug match with the Barracudas. We love the 1970s punch sound effects. Yeah. It is like very punchy. Yes. <laughs> very punchy. Uh, and then they all run away. They're now all bruised up. And it's disaster because this is the night of the dance competition yeah before there's the thing before that and that is when he helps stephanie move into her apartment in manhattan yes. and oh this, God, we're really jumping around aren't we we are <laughs> and this is a real turning point because we've probably done this with uh plastic bubble as well probably but anyway so he's helping um stephanie move into her place and that's when we see a man yes there's a man there yes. and they who is kiss, moving out who is moving out but Tony is obviously like, oh, you never told yeah. me about this guy. And that's when they get in the car and he's like, obviously really pissed yeah. about it. He's like, who's that guy? Woo, and what am I? And what am she's I like, doing? I never said I was going to go out with you. We're dance partners. Right. And then. And Tony, at being misled in this world that he comes from, can't help but feel like she was owed to him. That yes. she deserves her. And he's pissed that she didn't tell him she's with someone else and is rejecting him. But, and this was even like, um, this was an amazing scene that I really liked for um, uh, Stephanie because they're in the car and she's telling him, it's like, he was a guy that I met at work. I was new. I felt stupid and he helped me. And it sort of alludes to this experience that she was sexually harassed at work essentially. Yeah. And that she was promised favors for sexual favors, at, yeah. you know, for doing that. And, and she doesn't want that in her dance life yeah right and so which is the same place tony is at right so 
So they're they're two wayward souls. They're the two wayward souls. So um, I think we are missing a couple other plot points, but we can't just get into the uh, dance studio if you'd like. I mean, that, that's that's the important stuff. Yeah, there's like one bit when his boss fires him for a day or something. Yeah, his boss fires him for a day because he wants to go actually help her move out yeah help her move out when he gets in the car with her and she packs all the stuff in he says you know i lost my job for this she's like oh really yeah and they just okay and, and she's and <laughs> move it on and she's like is that supposed to make me love you or something or just be like that was kind of stupid yeah that was kind of stupid so it, it's somewhat just taking down the like the tropes of these romance movies where it's like i quit my job for you and then they would kiss and embrace or whatever but she's like oh cool thanks I got my Good days for you. off. <laughs> She's like, yeah, my day is off. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, this is after the whole beat up scene. Yes. They get to the dance club. They get to the dance club. the final dance number. Yes. Which is extraordinary. It's amazing. That is an amazing sequence. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I read that they rehearsed extensively for that. Obviously. Yeah. It's all done in wides. You see all everybody's footwork. You see everybody's yeah. like full bodies, all their arms. Steph- Stephanie and Tony, the two actors, uh, are just in lockstep. They really have the moves down. There's an amazing shot when they're dancing that they do this like dip and kiss. Yeah, and the camera does this like oh, it does like roll the, action. It does the turn. It rolls right and booms down like an arc motion. Yeah, with their it's like dip. it's on a tripod and someone just leaned it to the side. Leaned it to the it side, looks great. right? And it looks amazing. And then at one point, I have a little beef with this, and that is, they just stand there and kiss for a while, and I'm like, this is still during their dance. Yeah, see, I'm like, is this supposed yeah. to be like good dancing? Because they're just standing there and kissing. Well, in, in plot terms, or not plot terms, but in idea terms, it's the moment where the two of them are finally really seeing each other. Yeah. Because they're only themselves when they're dancing. Right. And they get it right then and there. And that kiss is genuine. Yeah. It's the love that he wanted and that she kind of felt, but only with this Tony. Right. So then, after them, uh, the Puerto Ricans. Yeah, the Puerto Rican. The Puerto uh, Rican, Puerto Rican couple. Yeah dances uh, and they do a puerto rican inspired dance yeah i don't specifically know what it's called but it's very good yes but it's very good and, and it tony so thinks a- it's better than his but it, it, not even just that it's apparent to the audience yes. that they were better because i even wrote down before that the awards that yeah. oh they should have won the competition yeah. like it's so apparent to the audience like oh they're like so much yeah. faster and quicker and and- imagine being a uh like the dance coordinator for this movie and you have to put together like a show-stopping number for John Travolta to have at the end, and then a and then you gotta do one, one that's better <laughs> immediately that's better. after for a support for a character who doesn't have any. So lines. this couple has to beat that couple yes. realistically, like on screen. Like, oh, okay. And it's extremely discouraging to uh, Travolta because he but sees it. They still win. Yes, and he thinks this is a false award. Yeah, it's we too, didn't earn this. It's to Travolta's demise where. Um, he he knows that they were better, as does the audience. And so at one point, like he, they're given the trophy, but he's just not happy about it. So at, at the club, and Stephanie's like trying to like, you know, cheer him up in this. Like, well, we still won, we still won. And so with all that being said, um, they are uh, like they're not they're not getting along. And so Travolta, is that your computer? That was my computer. Sorry. God damn it, Jeff. Um. So Travolta goes to the Puerto Rican couple and he just like hands them the trophy yeah, he's like, you guys and, and the cash prize, but doesn't take the second place stuff with him, which is like, <laughs> hey, can we trade? Like, no, he just gives them more money. Yeah, if he's He feels completely disqualified by yeah. this. And Stephanie runs out after him like, why? What, what is the deal? What's yeah. wrong with you? And so then they get they get in his car and that's when like Choni like thrusts himself upon yes. Stephanie and she He's is finally given into this gross version of the self and he essentially tries to rape her. Yeah. It's a yeah. Very scary scene. It is a very scary scene. Both in watching like the corruption of this character and in just the action that he's doing. Yeah. Um she gets out and she calls him a bunch of names and runs off. Yeah. Uh because they thought they she thought they had finally had a connection. Uh, on that dance floor and then tony felt like that connection was completely shattered by realizing even this thing were the only place in the world where he feels real and true isn't um he felt like that was even a lie right 
Yeah. So then after uh, she runs off, then the boys come back yeah, the, and the, they're with Annette. Yeah, the boys are all with Annette. Um, and they are high on drugs. Yeah, they're all they're all they're all loaded and they get into a car and they start driving and in the back seat one of them forces himself on a net. Yeah. Very disturbing uh, scene. Uh, this is the camera work here is it's all close ups and quick cuts. Yeah. It's a very you feel as high as these characters do, and not like just in a drug sense, but like as very heightened as their emotions and their feelings and moves are right now. Right. And they go back to their their spot on the bridge. Yeah. Uh, where they dance and they walk along the barristers on this precipice of their lives. And Annette, uh, who is crying to herself in the car. Yes. And John Travolta, who just doesn't have any sympathy for yes. her at and all. And who has no idea what's going on with his life anymore. He's like, are you happy now? Now you're a whore. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Yes. Like, it's that whole sequence is just like, it's heartbreaking for yeah. you to watch because you feel like this whole momentum with the dance, yeah. practicing, him connecting with Stephanie. Like, like this was a story of him becoming a better person. And, and then it all comes crashing down. Yeah. And then we're not even at the end of the movie yet. Yeah. I mean, we're getting closer to the end, but it's like you think this can't be like heading towards the end. Yeah. Because if we're heading towards the end, the direction where we're heading in is not a good place. So, so then Bobby C starts dancing on the steel beam yeah. of the bridge. Uh, but he's very high. He's very drunk. He's teetering on the edge. Tony and one of the other guys go out to try and pull him back. Yeah. They're unsuccessful, and Bobby C. falls and dies. Well, and Bobby, before that, Bobby C. was like, you know, you never called me, Tony. Yeah. Because he promised, like, Bobby that he was going to call him and And, talk to him. Yeah, and talk through his his troubles. You know, demise with getting a girl pregnant. This whole time, Bobby C.'s been bringing that up and being like, what should I do? Yeah, and nobody's been like giving him any. Yeah, nobody's attention. nobody's helped him. Nobody's believed his troubles are real. Yeah, and then um, he finally takes and, his own yeah, life, and he takes his own life, and he falls off the bridge. Yep. Cut to Tony talking to the police. They didn't find a body. They don't think they will. Yeah. Um, and Tony just walks off from that scene. He walks away from his friends. Walks away from his subway. life, and he gets on a train, and he takes it to downtown Manhattan. Yep. And it's this very long sequence of just him sitting, head in hands, on this subway train as, it, as he removes himself from all of his terrible influences from all of his life and reckons with what he's done. Yeah. Which is, you know, um, try attempt rape on one woman, uh, insult another who was just a victim of it. Yeah. Uh, feels like he was cheated in the dance competition. He just beat up a bunch of people. Just let his own friend, like, commit suicide. He's in the lowest state a person can be. Yeah. And he gets to Annette's apartment. I mean, not Annette. uh, Stephanie's Stephanie's apartment. Yeah. She's not pleased to see him. Right. uh, Who would be? Understandably. Yeah. Um, But she eventually lets him in, and they sit down and they talk. And he kind of opens up how he feels like he's been pushed into all these places that he didn't feel himself, and that he only ever really felt himself with her. Yeah. And on that dance floor. Uh, and she tells him, or he asks if they can be friends. He right. do, he's not. He doesn't want a romantic connection. Yeah, just all be he friends. wants is to be friends. And she agrees that there's a possibility for that. Yeah. And the movie leaves us with that. We go with some BGs, and it's this kind of optimistic ending that even from like the worst kind of guy. Yeah there's a chance for the future. Like one would say get better. No sequel was necessary. Yes. They never made a sequel to this movie. And we'll absolutely not be covering it on this podcast. I've never seen the sequel. Uh, I've never seen the sequel. Staying alive for folks listening. There is a sequel. It's called staying alive. It's called staying alive. I don't even know what the storyline is. We will find out. We will find out, but there is apparently a sequel to this movie and it makes me cringe just knowing that there's a sequel this is the most non-sequel-esque film there yeah. is. Like, it's, it's a movie about a like an extremely masculine dude learning that he can embrace his feminine side. Yeah. And, and just they're like, like, let's make a sequel to it. it, it has, it's a, I mean, I do believe that any movie can have a good sequel. Yeah. I don't think there's any story that cannot have a good sequel made to it. But this is one where I would have to be hard-pressed to figure out what that would be. 
Yeah, I mean, directed by Sylvester Stallone. Yes. So we're going to find out uh, eventually. But yeah, no, this this film has a lot of moving bits in it mm-hmm. in the sense that you have Tony's main storyline with like the dance competition. You have the gang storyline. You have the priest, yeah. uh, the brother priest storyline. You have Annette and just so many different yeah. interlocking bits. And like, I will admit, like, this is like a film critics movie. Yes. And I can see like some people who may have already watched this before this podcast or maybe listen to this podcast who then go on to watch it. And would that say, you know, I can see this not doing it for some people mm-hmm. because it is very much like there's a lot of subtext and there's a lot of moving yeah. storylines. But even if that's not something, even if you're not interested in looking at this movie uh, in a more, in a thoughtful way. Yeah. It's still an extremely impressive piece of filmmaking. Yes. And it's also just fun to watch. Yes. Like, it's a very yes. fun shot. I mean, there's terrible things that happen. There's, but uh, yeah. the dance sequences are uh, kinetic. There's a lot of energy. The camera is always moving. Yeah. Wouldn't recommend you watching this with, like, family and friends. But maybe, like, I don't know if I recommend this on a date either. Um, it would be, like, a group movie night or something it's a like good, that. It, it, I think it... There's a it can open up some good discussions, but it can also just be a good movie to watch any night. Yeah, you know what? I watched um, after this. I rewatched Taxi Driver recently because mm-hmm. I feel like it's a very similar movie about yeah, you know, a guy who just wants a bigger dick than uh, the guy running for president of the United States, and that's the plot of Taxi Driver. Yeah, but they're very similar movies about seventies um, masculinity and the dangers of it unchecked without finding a way to express that anger and frustration in a more artistic way and in a more human way. Yeah. And that is what Tony has with his dancing is he finds the human and artistic way to express his frustrations. Did uh, John Badham like do much more films after this? I'm trying to look uh, up his filmography. War Games is the only one I know. Do you know who almost directed this? Who almost directed John G. Avildsen, who did a Rocky. Ooh. Uh, he left like a few weeks before production started. Yeah, the only two films I see that I recognize are War Games and Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. He directed some Supernatural episodes. Yeah, for people who like that, and uh, he directed a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. A lot of TV. It looks like up until 1997, Incognito was one of his like last like feature films, and the rest were like TV movies or TV series. Interesting. That's what it looks like. That's on the di- the uh, director uh, thing. Yeah, Saturday Night Fever. Um, after it you know, came out a uh, huge hit, very huge hit, very huge. It cost $3.5 million made 237 million. A lot of money, uh, which is like a hundred times multiplier. So yeah. 200 times multiplier. Uh, they had to do a re-edit of the movie in PG because the movie's rated R. They did a PG edit of the movie so that, um, this younger was Paramount, people could right? see it. it. Yeah, it was a Paramount film. Uh, so that younger people could see the movie. Uh, and hopefully get something out of it. Uh, has a huge success on home media, huge critical success. Uh, it's part of the National Film Registry at the Library of Congress. Yeah. And uh, as we all know, the Bee Gees music from it is what really <laughs> is the most enduring legacy. Yeah. It was right. the, uh, it sold, let me see, it, was, it sold 20 million copies. It was the top-selling album in history until it was topped by the Thriller album by Michael Jackson. I read that Bee Gees wasn't even the original music that they had on set. Yeah. They that had, they had, like, different songs for Travolta to dance to and that they just replaced it with Bee Gees music. And that's what I'm talking about. This movie is just the... It's just, it's just a poster child for the amazing way that film comes together from all these elements that don't inherently work coming into one cohesive piece. Yeah. And sometimes you just get a really beautiful piece of film like this. Yeah. Well, Saturday, Saturday night fever This movie was also just called Saturday night at one point, And then they hired the Bee Gees and they had a song called night fever. So they're, they're like, just, well, we'll add the fever at the end of it. Perfect. And choice. Imagine this movie just being called Saturday night. You it think it would be about Saturday night live. Right. But no, we had Saturday night. Very fever. generic. Yeah. And so, so this is like a predecessor film to like, I mean, this is one year before Grease. Yeah. This is three years before Urban Cowboy. Um, so Th- this is the movie that turns John Travolta into a household name. Yes. I mean, he had been big on Welcome Back, Cotter. Uh, TV show we're not covering. We're not covering Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> but, uh, 
But, um, you know, he goes from being that guy on a sitcom to an Oscar-nominated actor yeah, um, who's willing to just bear all in a movie and really just dig deep into his characters. Um, he's worked with Brian De Palma at this point, mm-hmm. who will reuse him soon. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's just... The, it's a star-making performance is what it is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And um, I'm sure he looks back upon it, thinks of it as, you know, good old days, mm-hmm. Saturday Night Fever. And th- this whole movie is just something that's always going to stick around as a piece of the culture, even yeah. removed from all its contexts, just as a snapshot of disco culture in the 70s. You know, I think this would be a great family film to watch when you're older. Yeah. So, like, if you are like in your 20s or your late teens and you have like parents who maybe grew up in the mm-hmm. 70s i would love to get the reactions watching this film because they obviously probably seen it they probably seen it before but imagine watching it with them mm-hmm. and like getting all these like you know like tokens from the past of like can, can i just say how much i love the 70s yeah all the all the aesthetics the look that's the history of it and, you know, even the movies, like, they're all just the film stock of the 70s is even just such a unique look. I just am very fascinated by the 70s. And I love yeah. any movie or anything that bit of media that brings me into that time period that I find so interesting. It really is. And this is uh, well, what John Travolta said something really interesting in an interview once where he said, like, this was this film. This movie was filmed, like, after the disco craze. Yeah, the disco craze. Yeah, the disco craze was really point. from like seventy three to seventy six or something, and he said like, yeah, like it was kind of coming out after that. But then when this film came out, like reinvigorated it. Yeah, and discos were a thing yeah. once again. And uh, disco lasted until Reagan, and then uh, the rest is, as they say, history. To for better or for worse, we shall say. For, yes. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. You know what? This uh, last thing I just want to say before we close out. The one scene I think this film is missing. What? It's roller skating. A r- roller skating? Just you directed a movie based on roller skating. I so. did, but I think in the seventies, roller skating. Plug. It, roller skating is huge in the seventies, and because it, it was like disco based yeah. stuff, like you would roller skate to disco songs. Mm. It's just the one scene I think is yeah. missing. Is he could have gone roller skating? Imagine John Travolta on roller skates. I mean, I'm. Oh my goodness! I am not oh entirely unconvinced that over the next sixty. Um, two episodes. We will eventually see him on roller skates I'm or skating. S- I'm looking forward to it. There's there's a there's a not zero chance of that happening. I am so. I don't know for certain, but if I don't see John Travolta roller skates, I'm quitting this podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yes, you'll quit on the last episode when we watch the final movie and realize you will not roller skate. You what? will walk out oh. <laughs> on our last episode. <laughs> It'd be like, is he in? Is it? Is he doing it? It speed kills. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, speed kills. Speed kills. All right, Jeff, shall we yeah. close out? Uh, yeah. Thank you all guys for listening. Hope you found something to latch on to here and had enjoyed our discussion of Saturday Night Fever. We'll be back next week with a discussion of Greece. Greece. Greece is the word. We'll be joined by a very special guest for that one. We hope you guys will tune in to listen. Uh, as of this moment, uh, day of recording, which is January 27th of 2021, you can watch Grease on Prime Video if you have that if you have that capability. So if you want to watch it in advance of our episode, I would, as always, recommend it. Uh, gives you a little more context so you can uh, take part in our discussion in your head. Yeah, a good majority of you folks are probably will have already seen Grease, so but maybe just watch it again. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. watch it again. I really enjoyed talking about this with you, sir. This, yeah, this was, a was a swell episode. Swell episode for a great movie. You know, we really burst the bubble on that one, and uh, happy we were able to do that. Yes. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Did we um, plug our social media already? I have not plugged our social media. Uh, make sure, first of all, folks, to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode or any of its predecessors. Uh, really does help. Every review, every rating, every like on whatever platform helps. Helps us reach more people. Helps us feel like we're doing something good here. Uh, you can tweet us at Travolting Pod or reach us on Instagram at the same. Uh, you can pop into our Reddit, r slash Travolting, if you have anything you want to discuss about this episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us, TravoltingPodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Jeff W. Sweeney. You can find Stu on Instagram, 
at Stuart Elmore 95. Yes, at Stuart Elmore 95. Uh, and thanks for not getting it wrong. Yeah, and uh, special thanks to Rebecca Johnson for Love our graphic Becca. design and Michael Van Bodegum Smith for our music. Thank you, which Michael. Which you're hearing right now. It's amazing. Thank you all for listening and hope to see you next week. Or all right. I hope you hear us next week. Let's play it out. Bye, folks. Bye, folks.